Hey everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere they'll take me really, uh, podcast where I talk about buying, selling, fin financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. Today, I'm lucky enough to have the famed Clinton Lee from uh, theexitfirm.co.uk uh, join us uh, from the United Kingdom. And uh, Clinton, uh, you were on my show many years ago talking about online businesses, but your name has popped up several times uh, over the last year or so. Um, I did a show where I talked about how effective business brokers were. And one of the things that we talked about in that program was a report that you had put out. Uh, because you guys over in the UK, you have a publicly traded business brokerage. And so you had done an analysis of their annual report and come up with some pretty interesting um, information from their report that had, that had been a part of that conversation. And, and you and I frequently chit chat and comment on each other's posts on LinkedIn as well. So I wanted to have you back on uh, to talk about an interesting project that you've been working on. But I think first, let's do a little bit of a, a recap of your background for people that may not be familiar with you um, and uh, learn a little bit about your history. Why don't you let us know uh, how did your entrepreneurial career begin? Ooh, um, I've been I've been in business now for about 40 years. Um, so I'm older than I look. I'm actually 174. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I mean, I've had I've had all kinds of businesses. I've owned a market stall in the UK. I've owned a, a primary school in India. Um, I've owned a finance business. I've owned businesses in various sectors, and I've owned a lot of tech businesses. So from about 2000 to about 2010, um, I was mainly into tech businesses. I was buying and selling technology businesses, online businesses, um, e-commerce businesses publishing businesses a whole and, range and this was the topic this was the topic of the first interview that i had you on my That's show right. about about three or four years ago talking about buying and selling online businesses That's and right. so and then around 2010 you kind of withdrew from that market didn't you i did yes um i had i had done a lot of work there i was one of the first people to actually get into buying online businesses um i had started a forum in fact the world's largest forum for buyers and sellers of online businesses um, I've written a lot, I, did, I had written a lot of articles, hundreds of articles about buying uh, online businesses, about doing due diligence on them, etc. Uh, but it's sort of it's lost its charm for me. There were there were things going wrong in the uh, online world. The the rise of the likes of Facebook, etc., uh, where people felt free to steal your ideas, steal your images, steal your content, and just share it elsewhere. Um, I got a bit disillusioned with that whole world. And also the fact that there were a lot of scams. There were a lot of people creating businesses to sell. Mm. And it was becoming increasingly difficult to distinguish the real opportunities from the ones with the fake stats and the fake uh, earnings, etc. So I thought I can't be bothered with this anymore. I don't need the money. So I just gave up, uh, gave up on that and I moved to other stuff. I mean, there were, there were a lot of people who used to contact me to ask for my advice on selling their businesses, to help them with buying businesses, to help them with deal sourcing, valuation, because I've got an accountancy background, you see. Um, so the valuation and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, let me help them. I identified one problem that people were having. And in 2015, that's what I went into full time. And that one problem is uh, larger businesses. And we're talking businesses of turnover between say 5 million pounds and, and 50 million pounds, say seven to $70 million. 
if they wanted to go to market, they would hire advisory firms that charged a retainer of about 50K. Uh, so when you go to a broker, they may charge something little by like a thousand pounds or two thousand pounds. Some of them might not even charge you at all. There's no retainer. You know, they just take you on, uh, and they get all their money from the success fees. Not so when you're a lower mid-market business or a mid-market business. So in the lower mid-market space, the five million, fifty million space, uh, you'd be looking at paying fifty k, the forty k, fifty k as a retainer, and then of course a success fee at the end. Now the thing is, for most businesses in that position. They don't know how to find themselves a good advisory firm. So these brokers, they don't call themselves brokers. Once you get into that space, they call themselves MA consultants, they call themselves boutique investment banks, they call themselves advisory firms, and all kinds of other things. But you don't have experience hiring someone in that field. You might have hired IT people, you might have hired a managing director, you might have hired all kinds of other staff, but you don't have the expertise with hiring somebody to do your corporate finance work and, and sell your business for you. Um, and everybody you interview will come up with a very good pitch, a fantastic pitch. Sure. But you're yeah. going to be paying 50 grand. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help these people. And that's how I got into this. And yes, the inquiries just kept flowing, you know, and I keep, and that became, eventually became a full-time job. I was just doing it, you know, helping out a few people here and there, and then that's become quite a flood. And then that's all I do now. So I guess the, analogy would be is that you're like um, a contract hiring manager or HR person who helps a business hire a certain kind of a professional. You're, right, yeah. you're specialized in the lower and mid mid market space for how to find an exit advisor. And, and so in helping people choose who to hire, you then started to collect information about the different brokerages and M&A uh, advisory. Well, firms. I was collecting information even before that. I've, I've spent tens of thousands uh, on data collection. So I want to know what their fees are, what their fee structures are, what kind of sector expertise they have, whether they have any cross-border experience, what right. language competencies they have. Do they speak Chinese? Do they speak French? Um, I want to know what uh, legal background. Do they have the ability in-house to deal with uh, perhaps legal issues or tax advisory issues. Um, I want to know whether they are qualified to act as nomads, so uh, nominated advisors for uh, IPOs, so if okay. companies go public. Uh, we also have other regulatory rules here in the UK. You've got what's called uh, Rule 3 advisors, which are people who are authorized to advise minority shareholders uh, in a hostile bid. So I want to know if they've got Rule 3 uh, approval. So all of these things, I've been collecting this information on them for, all of, for a long time. I mean, if if someone has slept with someone else at the office party last Christmas, I know about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So the, the business that you run today, basically people come to you because they, they want to exit and they help, they want your help to help find just the right firm. And what I've noticed about the UK, which makes it a little bit different from the, the um, brokerage or advisory industry in North America is that in the UK, there are a lot of industry or sector specialists. Uh, you know, so one firm will specialize in um, pharmacies, for example, and they'll just buy and help people buy and sell pharmacies across the whole country. And so, you know, with these specialized silos, it can make a lot of sense for somebody to seek out the specialist who uh, not only has expertise in their industry, but uh, has a track record of success. Absolutely. I'm, I believe there are sector experts in the uh, U, US as well. If it's a large enough market, 
you will end up with people specializing in a particular sector. The, the, there are, but you know, for the most part, what I've seen in North America is that a lot of people tend to be geographically based. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Just because it's so much it bigger space. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't know if geography makes such a big difference for the for the mid market uh, companies, the mid cap and the lower mid cap businesses. Okay. Um, well, this is what I'm finding in the UK. For example, there's an Aberdeen firm, a firm based in Scotland, uh, who are very good at a particular sector, o- ONG, oil and natural gas sector. And I've got a client now in the southeast of uh, the UK, which is a long way from Scotland. Uh, and they're quite happy to just fly down, meet with him, go back. Um, and that's just to make a pitch for his case, for, for his business. Okay. So, yeah, sector, sector-based. In the UK, we've got over 20 firms, believe it or not, who sell only accountancy practices. They sell nothing else. How many accounting firms would there be in the UK? Do you have an, an idea? No, but when I realized, when I sat and I worked it out, this was a few years ago, and I sat and I totaled them up and I thought, wow, two dozen firms selling just accountancy practices. How many blooming accountancy practices are there in the UK? But then, of course, the UK has a very complicated tax code. We're the second most complicated tax code in the world. So you require a lot of accountants. I suppose, yes, yes. So there's a demand for accountants. So the the establishment of your business, um, you know, you started to help people match up with the right M&A advisor. That led you to the project that you just started recently, which was to actually start to observe the market and collect data about the market. Why don't you tell us about this project? Because... This is something I find very interesting. I read a, a long article that you had put on LinkedIn about this and, and what your aspirations were for the, for the data once, it's, once you've had a chance to collect and analyze it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the project of, of observing the market? Okay, um, they're not actually connected. I okay. must emphasize they're not actually connected because when you're looking at the mid-market space and the lower mid-market space, so anything with a, an a EV, an enterprise value, of five million and above, you don't normally find them on marketplaces. You can't sure. go to businesses for sale or biz buy sell. You don't find these businesses listed there. Um, the sale of these businesses happens in a very different way. So your advisor, you know, the, the guy you're paying 50K, um, he actually goes individually approaching people. He makes a short list and he individually approaches likely acquirers and tries okay. to get them interested in the project. So it works very differently in that market. But in the lower market, when you're talking main, main street shops, high street shops, you're talking small businesses, um, anything up to about 5 million in turnover, you do get, a, uh, get them advertising in these places. We've got in the UK three or four main um, marketplaces, online marketplaces. And you've got, I think you've got Biz Buy Sell there. You've got, um, what are the others you've got? Well, businessforsale.com is a, is a big sale. one. Yeah. Owned by Dynamis, yes. Okay, so we've got, we've got a few of those. Uh, and we do have a lot of smaller ones as well. Uh, we do have ones that specialize in certain sectors. So, for example, in the day nursery sector, you have a firm that lists day nurseries for sale. Um, same thing with post offices, with uh, garden centers, with the dental practices. You've got certain locations where those businesses tend to congregate. Uh, and the hospitality when it comes to hotels. Right. You've got specialist websites that deal with the listings of those businesses. And I thought you've got so many locations where someone can list a business that um, if you're looking to gather some information, it's not easy. You'll have to visit 10, 15 different websites. 
So I thought if I create some bots to go and collect the information from all these websites every day, then I'll have all that information all together in one place. And that might be something that could generate some insights, generate some intelligence that you wouldn't normally be able to get. So obviously when you put a lot of data together, you can cut it and chop it and, and uh, um, do all kinds of other statistical stuff with it. So, so I'm, guessing, I, though, I'm guessing some of these businesses that are listed with a broker are appearing on more than one marketplace. Yes. Okay. And so your bots are scouring the different marketplaces, mm-hmm. collecting all the data together mm-hmm. and they do this once every day. Yes. Uh, well, no, we worked out that once every day was, uh, was pointless on some websites. They only do updates once a week. Okay. So we thought there's no point going every day. We just do it. And then also we track the date that a page has changed. If a page hasn't changed, then we don't go and crawl the page again. Okay. So it saves, it saves on crawling um, work, but also it, uh, it's not such an imposition on the site itself. You know? And we are very conscious of that. We don't want to send bots to take their site down. You know, it's not a denial of service attack. We want to do it in a gentle way. We want to do it at off-peak times when they don't have a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to do it in a way that doesn't disrupt their business. And so you then, not only do you get a snapshot of everything that's for sale at one given point in time, you can start to track what happens over the course of time. Absolutely. So we get a picture not only of um, what's happening over a course of time, but also a sector by sector breakdown. So we have a better idea of what's happening, you know, which, which sectors on the rise, which sectors on the decline. Uh, but we also know in terms of brokers, which brokers are doing well, which brokers aren't. Um, we don't have data on the actual sale when a business has been sold because that is not, that's not public. Mm-hmm. We can only deduce that from a listing being removed. So if a listing has been removed from a website, then we can deduce that either they changed their minds about selling and they've just taken the, the, the listing off or they've sold the business. Right. It's one of those. And we never know for sure which one it is, but we're working on uh, doing some background uh, analysis to be able to work out with some degree of certainty uh, what percentage of businesses were sold and not sold. Okay. You know, we can do, we've got companies house here that tracks limited companies and the ownership of limited companies and things like that. So we can do some integration of uh, uh, the data and work it out that way. So we've got a breakdown by sector. We've got a breakdown by county, which part of the country businesses are selling. We've got to break down um, on all kinds of different uh, metrics. You know, we can do various uh, analyses and we can drill down to get information so what are some of the interesting things that you've discovered so far um well you saw the article i put together i mean the the interesting thing is that um there are a lot of business owners out there in the lower market who have absolutely crazy expectations in terms of price so are you looking at the turnover and stated cash flow with respect to the price? And, and so we're of- comparing against, that's right. Yeah. So the revenue they've declared, but also the profits that they've declared. Right. Uh, relative to the price that they're asking for. Now, I appreciate that it's an asking price. It's not a selling price, but uh, it's still the expectations are, um, are quite mind boggling. Now, you've got to understand one thing in the UK. The, our tax system is such that it encourages people not paying themselves a salary and taking all their money as dividends. 
So you might have a small business like a corner shop where you've got husband and wife working 60 hours a week each um, and they make 50 grand for the year. But they pay themselves no salary or just a very little salary. They pay themselves all the rest in dividends. And then they think that the dividends, the 50K of dividends is all profit. Right. Well, instead of properly normalizing the income statement to, to right. put a fair market value for what their labor is worth, which in this case That's would right. make the profit of the business zero. Negative. Yeah. Right. Because they're really the 50K is just their wages as shop clerks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's that one issue. And I figured out why I think that is. Um, it's partly, of course, I think a universal problem where small business owners are a bit egotistical they 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 have this little baby and they've grown it from from scratch and uh, they overestimate what they've actually built and they think it's so fantastic but of course outsiders will come in and, and they won't think it you know as valuable so that's part of the effect the my my own baby my little baby effect but also i think it is largely driven by business brokers well, this is going to be my this is going to be my follow up question: is Is there a difference between the overpriced, you know, businesses whether they're listed with brokers or not? Do you know if the businesses are for sale with a broker or not? Some some oh, yeah, websites yeah, yeah. indicate that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we extract that as well, um, and so we actually have uh, we have analyzed by broker what type of uh, multiples they're asking for. So okay. We, so we know which brokers are asking for higher multiples, for example, you know, which brokers are, um, uh, are over-exaggerating or exaggerating the value of the businesses. But also those business owners who are listing the business themselves and not through a broker, you still have to um, understand that many of them have spoken with brokers before going to market. Whether they sought the broker out or not, is not uh, material because the brokers themselves are very, very proactive in the UK. They do a lot of phone calls every day. There are some brokers that make tens of thousands of phone calls, tens of thousands of phone calls every day. And there are others who are sending out thousands of letters, millions of emails every single day to business owners. And they all saying, promise they can sell the business for the most amount of money. That's right. And that they have a lot of eager buyers on their database. Right. Uh, they don't say that they bought the database for five quid on eBay. Yeah, but they say we've got, we've got, it's, they bought, they bought a mailing list from somewhere, right? And then they go around claiming we've got 50,000 people on our mailing list. Yeah, of course. But are those serious buyers? Right. Yeah, most of them are not. So anyway, they go to the, uh, the uh, business owners and then they go and meet with them and they give them an exaggerated uh, valuation. And then the owners think, okay, if my billion business is worth a million quid, I'll go and sell it myself. Why would I use you and pay your commission? I'll go and do it myself. And so they list the business, but they've listed the business after speaking with brokers. Right. And the funny thing is I get a lot of inquiries. As you know, my website is probably the most visited website in the UK when it comes to buying and selling business. Um, and I get a lot of email inquiries and uh, people contacting me. Um, and many of them have spoken with multiple brokers. So I spoke with someone last week, not spoke with him, he emailed me. Uh, he's making no profit. If once you, once you take a salary out, he's making no profit. And he has no assets. I looked at his net assets. You know, that is pretty much, that's negative as well. Um, and he was given um, a valuation of 250,000 pounds. So bear in mind, no physical assets, no intangibles, no intellectual property or anything like that, and no profit. Hmm. 
and he was convinced his business was 250,000 pounds. And I said, well, how come you're so sure about it? He says, because I've spoken with three brokers and all three of them gave me a valuation of between 200K and 300K. Amazing. So you obviously don't know what you're talking about. What I was working with a seller about two months ago and he's had a business for sale for six months by himself and wasn't really getting much action. So he found me on YouTube and he arranged for a call with me and I had a very quick look at his financials and I just said, look, back of the napkin, this is the range you're in. And it was a number about half what he was asking. And I said, how did you come up with that number? And this was interesting. Some of the big online marketplaces are offering premium services now where people can generate market reports by sick code in some cases or industry code. And so these business owners get to see uh, some kind of aggregate composition of the listing information for other businesses like themselves. And so they're, they're holding this up as though it's important information about an industry but it's not, it doesn't have selling prices. It has asking prices. So what's happening is, is that the information deficit is creating a negative feedback loop. So that this, this gentleman got that report and thought that his asking price should be in line with what these other people's were, but, but they were equally uninformed sellers as well. And so you end up with this scenario where everybody's overpricing themselves by double or three times what they should be asking That's an interesting, for. It's an interesting point. In fact, my data, I'm hoping my data will be of some use there as well uh, because I'm tracking businesses over time. So I can tell businesses that listed in a particular sector that are listed at 5X, five times earnings, they haven't sold after one year, after two years. But businesses that are listed at two times earnings in that sector, for example, have gone offline after six months. Yeah. So if I've got enough data on that, then I can work out what's kind of a reasonable asking price if you want to sell in six months' time. What's a reasonable asking price if you want to sell in three months' time? Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, that might be of some use to business owners at some point. Well, I, I find it interesting because there are databases available of private transactions. Um, yes, there, there's, there are several of them. Um, and when, when you go and you look at them, what I find is that if you, if you don't have an experienced eye, you will not spot the statistical outliers. And one of the most, you know, a common business type, like a corner store or something, you could have hundreds of sale transaction, you know, um, data points. But if you, if you just simply take an average of all of them, it's going to lead you to a very incorrect outcome. What you have to do is isolate the ones that have similar revenue or turnover and similar profit margins and see. And when you start to isolate them, you can start to see a certain band of, of valuation but there's always a crazy outlier that we don't know the backstory to because we're looking at limited data. So there could be a location that sold for a very high multiple, but it was just because maybe they just completed a multi-million dollar renovation of their facility. And then all of a sudden the owner got sick 
and somebody saw a great deal of value in the money that had just been spent to renovate uh, the leaseholds of the business or something. Who knows that there's not, there are not enough note fields in the databases to contain that kind of information that, and so we just have to take that crazy statistical outlier and just remove it from our data. And a lot of people don't do that. They'll just, they'll just take an average. Yeah. Once you move up, move up a little bit from your corner shops into maybe small industrial units with 20 or 30 people working there or online businesses, uh, which are turning over say a million or 2 million and have a few staff, uh, you still have another problem. They might have accumulated some intellectual property. Hmm. It could be in the form of uh, a website that they've bought, or they could be in the form of um, patents they've registered. It could be in the form of copyrights. It could be in anything else. And you don't know the extent to which they've got some valuable intellectual property. So you can't just go by the headline price. Hmm. Um, even if you've got figures for the net assets or the networking assets or whatever they call it in the US, um, you still don't have a figure for the intangibles. Because that doesn't, that's not a gap item that doesn't appear on your balance sheet. At least in the UK, you can't actually put stuff like that on your balance sheet as an asset. So yes, yeah, so you have no idea about stuff like that. So it's still not, it's still very difficult to make a comparison. Someone has to manually go and dig into all the details of the deal, which won't be public and it won't be in those databases, the Zephyr and whatever other databases you have tracking, tracking comps, tracking the competitive prices. Well, and this, this is what introduces the notion, you know, a, a lot of, there are some websites out there that say, put in these data points, we'll tell you what your business is worth. Uh, I've seen a few of them. And what is sort of dangerous about this idea is, is that it's, it's not, oh, how's the way to put this? There's a, there is artistry and experience involved in this problem. And this is what brings, uh, you know, the value in having in working with the right kind of person to help someone uh, get through this. But we can say that people need to get help. But then, what you're telling me from the data observing the marketplace is that a lot of the people holding them as people who can help are actually not being very helpful. No, they're not. I mean, they they cater to people's vanity, you see, because they see that as a way of making money. And yes, you can make money. Even the online valuation tools that you talk about, um, many of them will give you an exaggerated valuation because they have some sort of a vested interest in that. They want you to list your business on their website, for example, or whatever else, you know, whatever it is, they've got some vested interest in talking up the price. Um, And so there's so many people that are talking up the price from business brokers to these listing sites to the valuation tools. Um, my message to business owners, and I've been struggling to get this message out, you know, every time I attend a networking group, um, when I write articles, I try and emphasize to them, even when I speak with people, I try and emphasize to them that they shouldn't start with trying to get a valuation. They shouldn't start with a number. Start with, with the idea of how can I get the best that the market is willing to pay for my business. And they struggle with that. Many small business owners, I find that they want to really have a number. Unless they have a number, they're not satisfied. And I think that is their vulnerability. That's where they, that's, they actually heal. Um, and that's where they end up losing money because they are attracting the wrong kind of people. They're attracting the people who will give them a number. Right. But who have no stake in that. They will just give you any number. They're not really in a hell to it. If they don't achieve that number, they don't achieve that number. They're not putting their neck on the line. They're just giving a number. And business owners who want to start with that number, I think they are at risk. They're the ones who are most at risk. 
compared with the ones who are willing to prepare properly, present your business properly, promote it properly to the right people, to the right places, and then have someone good managing the process, the whole, the negotiation, the due diligence and everything else. And that's how you get the best price. Well, and, and, you know, talking about process is, is one of the ways that I was able to get the listings that I was able to secure when I had my office open is through discussing the process that we employed and showing people the, the checklist of items that we went through. Um, you know, it's interesting. We, I had a, a competitor here and I lost some listings to the competitor because the competitor told these people their business was worth more. And invariably what would happen is people would come back after a year, whenever the agreement would end with that other company and they'd come back to me. And I had the occasion to look at two of the valuations that were done by this competitor. And there was a, a conceptual error in the evaluation methodology, which what was happening is they were double counting operating capital and they didn't know that. And so all of their businesses were overpriced by whatever the operating capital was. And then they would add up some room, you know, for negotiating wiggle room or what have you. And then some sellers, of course, want to tack the commission on top of that because they, they want to net out what they would normally net out in the marketplace. And then pretty soon you've got a business that's overpriced by, by double what it should be, you know, just by adding there's, all these, all these layers. There's, there's one broker in the UK. I'll give you the name actually, Turner Butler. You look at, it's a large um, uh, organization. They've been around since the 90s. I mean, the company went bust. This, a new company has opened up, a new limited company, but they're still using that Turner Butler brand. It used to be Turner & Co, but now it's Turner Butler. And all their ads, they only provide gross profit. They don't talk about net profit. They only talk about gross profit. And when they go to see business owners, they tell them that the businesses, their business is going to be valued as a multiple of gross profit. Okay. <laughs> because that gives you a bigger number, you see. Of course. <laughs> yeah? And if you look at any ad of theirs, seriously, go online, it's the turn, turn of Butler and Co. Look at any ad of theirs, they give you revenue and they give you gross profit. And the price is a multiple of gross profit. With the idea being that it's up to the owner to that, determine how his overheads line up? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not an exact multiple that they use. They come up with all kinds of different numbers. But uh, yeah, they, 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 they don't, they're not interested in net profit. They don't want to talk about it. And so how is it that this brokerage is open for business? I mean, do they, they charge fees up front? I mean, they have to have... They don't even... No, it's a no-sell, no-fee deal. So you pay only when we sell your business. So is it just luck? that they happen to price some within a certain range? Well, well you, you throw enough of it against the wall, as they say, the old saying goes, some of it will stick. Uh, so they sell the odd business. So they bung, they take on hundreds of businesses and they, they sell the odd business here and there and that pays for it. Now, there are some brokers and I won't, I'm going to be careful how I say this and I'm not making this accusation of this particular firm, but there are brokers who have all kinds of slippery things in their contract. And I've written extensively about this. Um, they will say in their contract that if the business is sold at any point, you have to pay their, their commission. You can't pull out of the contract. Right? Um, and it could be two years or three years later. One day you get a letter from them saying you owe their money. Um, 
And you might think, oh, I haven't sold my business. But no, they're making their claim because you have changed something at company's house. Perhaps you've added a director to the company. Perhaps you made your wife a shareholder. Right. And as far as they're concerned, or perhaps you've taken one of your kids in and given them some position in the company or given them some shares for tax purposes or whatever. Suddenly, bingo, you've triggered that clause. You owe us our full commission, 10% of the valuation price. <laughs> the huge valuation figure that we gave you, you owe us 10%. There are people who've gone bust as a result of this. People have had to sell their houses. And I've got a list of these uh, on my website. I've got a page uh, where I've extracted uh, from a newspaper article. There's an article, a newspaper in the UK called The Mirror that did a big investigation into these people and all the comments from there. There were hundreds of people who replied and said, okay, this has happened to me with this broker. This has happened to me with that broker. Um, hundreds of comments. And I've extracted all of those and I've got them on my website. These are real people who've lost their houses. They've lost, some of them have committed suicide. One, one lady committed suicide. Uh, because she couldn't handle the pressure. But these brokers will take you to court because you agreed to pay them their commission. So when I was a business broker, I had a deal close and we actually got the person more money than they initially wanted when we first met them. We showed them that their business was actually worth about 20% more than they thought it was worth. And we sold it. And we were due a six-figure commission and we had a deposit in our trust account. Um, but the, our commission exceeded the amount of the, the deposit in the trust account. And so we sent a, a bill to the closing lawyer and they just decided not to pay us. And we ended up having to take legal action to pursue the seller, which blew me away because we, we were more successful in the outcome than what he wanted. We ended up suing him. And then of course, to avoid a big legal battle, we ended up settling for, for some mm. amount that was less than the full amount that was owed. Mm. And it really burned me and I felt very angry because- It leaves a bad taste, yeah. I knew that I had done the job and I had worked on that file for a year and a half uh, before it finally closed. And I, my whole business model and life plan was based on collecting those commissions to pay my bills and whatnot. Oh, you do get that. I mean, I do have sympathy with brokers in the UK that they, they do but, have those. But to create, well. you know, to, to fail at selling the business and then pursue someone because they've made their wife a shareholder. To me, those brokers know that they're being underhanded. That's, that's a unethical oh, yeah. or immoral behavior. Yeah. They're sitting back waiting for you to do something wrong. So they've taken your business on and they post it online, but it doesn't cost them anything because you know, with the businesses for sale, et cetera, you go to list a business there, they'll charge you 150 pounds a month. But for a broker to list a business there, it costs them five quid, maybe five pounds or, or maybe nothing at all because they've got- Typically there's a, a, a membership with a set fee that That's lets right. you list a whole bunch of businesses, yeah. That's right. So yeah, so they can list a thousand businesses on there and it doesn't cost them much more per business. The marginal cost is very little. So they list your business and they give a, uh, an impression that they're doing something because yeah, we've paid for your advertisement for the last 24 months. So we've been working on selling your business, but of course they've not been doing anything. Now, and if you call them, they don't even get back. They don't send you the NDA. Uh, you can't really get, they're really difficult to deal with some of these brokers, hmm. but they can prove in a court that they were attempting to sell your business. Hmm. What, 
have you noticed from your data collection project so far about pricing? Do you, do you see that pricing starts to move downward over a certain period of time? Um, we are also tracking price changes because this is one thing that these people don't businesses for sale and all these listing websites, uh, they don't tell you when a business has dropped in price. Right. Uh, because I suppose they don't want the, the, excuse me, it's a bit dark, but it was too sunny out there earlier. No, it looks good. Uh, um, yes, they don't want you to see the sellers desperate. So I can see their reasoning behind not disclosing that data. But I thought I'd like to have that data. So I've actually got a date stamp on, on every price change and I can see how prices have changed over time. Uh, and people keep their business on for about six to nine months before making their first change. That's typically when they make their first change. Um, and then they make it again after about a year. And then you start, you start seeing the changes narrowing, they get quicker. Um, they, because you can see the sellers getting more desperate because also what happens is, they are so excited about selling their business that they take their eye off the ball and the, the business numbers start declining. And well, now they, they're even more anxious to sell. Mentally, they spend the money. That's so right. the, the, the broker might tell them their business is worth half a million and then their head, they go, okay, well, that's a house in Spain and yeah. uh, maybe a, you know, a new uh, RV or, or cruise or what have you. Yeah. And, and yeah. So yeah. And even, even the ones who are not greedy, right? In their minds, they've got, okay, I'm going to be spending more time with the grandchildren. Yeah. Or they've made other plans on what they're going to do, you know, the garden or with the pets or whatever. Uh, and they're mentally preparing for life after business. But of course, there's very little prospect of the business actually selling. So yes, the price does drop after time. Um, and then people eventually give up and they, they close their business. So with many of the businesses that have been online for two years, um, for the ones that we know the identity, because not all of them disclose the identity, but for the ones we know the identity, we've seen many of them closing. Mm -hmm. We tracked them at a company's house and the company has actually been wound up, been made insolvent or they've done a voluntary winding up. So when I work with buyers, uh, one of the things that I tell buyers is that the only real power you have as a buyer is the ability to not do a deal, just to, to walk away. And Oftentimes, we'll, I'll see situations where people will make an offer on a business. They'll get to know a seller. They'll make an offer. And, and they're so far apart that instead of making a, you know, a formal written offer, they'll say, look, I've, I've taken a look at your business. And based on these things, this is kind of where I'm at, which is nowhere near your asking price. And so I just I wanted to see what I was missing. And we'll use the line. I must be missing something. Can you show me what I'm missing? Because from my point of view, this is the cash flow and this is the money I need to borrow and these are my payments and everything. I don't see how I can make it work beyond this level. And and sometimes the seller will start to become collaborative and will actually start to empathize a little bit and take a look at what the buyer's talking about and and some headway will be made. But other times... People are just like, no, no, yeah. this is my price. I'm holding out for this. Yeah, when I was, when I was buying businesses, you know, I've tried that as well, uh, saying, listen, I'm obviously missing something here. Um, and then they get back without any rationale. They don't have any logic behind it. They get back to say, uh, well, I feel that it's worth six times or I feel that it's worth eight times. If they come back with logic, they'll come back with 
but Facebook sold four. <laughs> right. This kind of multiple, right? So they will, or went IPO, or whatever. So they'll, they'll come up with these arguments about listed companies and how much, what kind of multiple they went. And I'm not even asking for half of that, is what they'll say, right? Right. So I come up with stuff like this. And what I realized was that one thing you can do is, of course, get their, their accountant involved. Sometimes you can, you know, you can count on the accountant to put some sense into the, the vendor. Um, tell the accountant, listen, you go do the research, you see what businesses of this size are selling for, uh, and then you advise your client on what's a reasonable figure. Right? So sometimes getting the accountant involved worked for me. But there were several times where I thought, okay, you need the market to slap you in the face. Hmm. Till that happens, you're not going to really recognize that your business is not worth this kind of money. You see, in my mind, I would, the, the I would work... say to them, I would say to them, I'll tell you what, you go online, you list your business for sale. If you get an offer at that price, I'll beat it. I'm okay, I may not beat it. You know, we'll talk about the deal structure later, but I would tell them, you go and if you find a serious buyer willing to pay you that kind of money, come and talk to me. And then I'll leave it for a year. I mean, there was one business I left for about 18 months, two years before a tech business, uh, um, a website, a huge information website. I left it for about two years before he finally got back and said, okay, listen, you can have it at your price, at your price. Well, in, in my mind, the job of a qualified broker is to set expectations, you know, in people's mind. And, and the, the problem with commission-based compensation for brokers is that there's an incentive for a broker, obviously, to get the highest price. And, and the sellers believe this aligns their interest. But really, yeah, it doesn't definitely. because there's, there are two different selling cycles. There is the broker selling his services to the business owner. And in that sales cycle, the broker has an incentive to claim that they can sell the business for the, the highest price possible. And so that's where the expectations, instead of being set properly, get inflated. And so then once the broker has secured the engagement and now they have it under contract, now they enter into the second sales cycle, which is selling the business to a buyer. And then all of a sudden, the customer changes. Now, instead of the customer being the business owner, the customer is now the person out there who wants to make an investment and buy the business. And so now the broker wants to, to make the item of inventory, the business, appealing to the buyer which means undermining the expectations that were just set to now convince the business owner that the business isn't worth as much. And I've, I've heard hundreds of stories of people going through this roller coaster of my business is worth this. And then six months later, they're telling me it's worth this. But there's another way for the broker to bridge that gap. And I see that a fair bit as well. Set the expectation of a high price. But then when the time comes to sell the business and you're dealing with a buyer, um, do a deal where you've got that high price, that headline price on your heads of terms, but the deal structure is such that your client's not going to get anything for the next 20 years. <laughs> so a very small upfront payment. Right? So you met your headline figure. You see, listen, I've got you the valuation that I gave you. Yeah. I gave you a valuation of a million quid million, one, one million pounds. Okay, you're only getting 10,000 pounds now, but you're going to get the rest of it over the course of the next 10 years, aren't you? Well, I mean, I've, I've worked with more than one buyer trying to meet someone's aspirational price. And of course, these are the things you get into. 
you know, I'll give you a payment every month for 10 years with no interest. And if you add them all up, it'll come to your number. Yeah. Uh, anyone who understands time value of money realizes that it's not the same. Yeah. Right. And so. And yeah. well, even before you adjust for risk, you know, you're working on a net present value. You've got to work out what the risk element is there. What, what are the chances are, are of the business going bust after two years and you're not getting any money anymore. That's right. Yeah. So interesting, interesting information, interesting insights. Thank you for joining me again here on the show. My pleasure. What happened? Yeah. So, okay. Well, where, where can people uh, find out more information? I know we mentioned your website a couple of times, but why don't we give it to everyone one more time? Uh, oh yeah. I've got a lot of information on ukbusinessbrokers.com, uh, but they could also follow me in LinkedIn. I talk a lot of nonsense there. But for those who are interested in, in the industry, they might want to, to check me out. So it's Clinton Lee um, at uh, LinkedIn. So yeah, ukbusinessbrokers.com or my LinkedIn profile, Clinton Lee. Awesome. And if any business owner out there is interested in selling their own business and they want to do it on their own without a broker, but they want some help, then they should come over to one of my websites, howtosellmyownbusiness.com. And I recommend, yeah, I recommend your course. I mean, you've done some fantastic work on this and you're one of the few good guys in the business. Um, when it comes to teaching people how to buy businesses, for example, you know my, my position, my opinion on this. There are a lot of dodgy people out there teaching others mm -hmm. how to buy businesses. You're one of the good guys. I link to you from my website because of that, uh, which I've added, by the way, I've added that link. Uh, and I recommend people, I've recommended in LinkedIn and elsewhere, I've recommended they go and look at your YouTube videos because you've talk, you talk a lot of sense. You've got a lot of knowledge and uh, information. And I've learned stuff from your videos. So, you know, I'd highly recommend. Awesome. Well, thank you. That, that makes me feel great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I genuinely do. That's, that's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. Awesome. Well, thanks, Clinton. It's good to speak with you again. And uh, we'll see you online. Keep up the good work, David. All right. Bye-bye.